Hi, my name's Joe Houghton, and this is the Plus One Podcast. Dr. Linda Yang is someone I've had the absolute pleasure to work with over the last year, 18 months, something like that. Um, and her programs around intercultural and awareness um, have been so successful at UCD Smurfit, the, the graduate school where we both work, that um, I found out this morning that in the next academic year, the, the intercultural module will be available to every student in the school which is quite some testament to to the success and the importance of that program so it's going to be really interesting to hear in the next hour some of that story and that journey um smurfit prides itself on being you know one of the top international business schools in the world um and and linda has been absolutely instrumental in kind of leading the way in into kind of making that a reality not just for the staff but also for the students so so i'm really looking forward to the next hour uh, welcome to the podcast linda <laughs> thank you so much joe for inviting me to uh, to your really really fantastic podcast series uh, which i've been really enjoying thoroughly enjoying myself so i was i've been looking really looking forward to this opportunity to have this chat with you Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, with your educational story and what you're doing, um, I, th I think it's going to be a good episode. So um, so let's kick off. Um, can you I mean, how does how does a girl from Beijing or China anyway? I don't know whether you were from Beijing or whether that was just your first kind of, you know, listed bit of study. But how, how, how do you get from Beijing to Dublin with stops in London and Durham and maybe other places along the way? Describe your, your journey to, to where we are today. Oh, wow. That's such a good question. I mean, okay. So, yes, I'm originally from China, culturally, yeah. originally from China. And I was actually born in Harbin, that is um, a really beautiful north uh, city in the northeast of China, uh, okay. have 5 million uh, population. And then actually when I was quite young, we moved to Beijing. So I actually grew up in Beijing, you okay. know, but if, yeah, if you think about cultural identity, I identify myself with China, first of all, and, and, and also most importantly with these two cities, you know what I mean? So yeah. that is my identity. Now, so, yeah, I mean, um, like I actually grew up in Beijing and I finished my undergraduate study um, in English studies. I actually always wanted to be an English teacher, you know, like teach English. Yeah, I saw that on your profile. And that was a question <laughs> for later, kind of, you know, why, where, where did English go and, and how did it morph into what you're doing now? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I always wanted to become an English language teacher, which, which you know, we will, we'll touch up on this later on, why the path changed, right? Hmm. And then um, I actually went to uh, King's College London to get my master's degree so that I, I spent a fantastic year, one year in London, you know. Uh, I must admit that London is a fantastic place to work yeah. and uh, shop uh, and study, you know, which means that I was... I really needed to be strict with myself in terms of not being distracted. <laughs> so many wonderful options over there. Yeah. And... Um, then I got uh, a scholarships from Durham University, a School of Education, Durham University, which is such a beautiful little um, university town in the northeast. Wonderful. Part of, and uh, the cathedral is just awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh my. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of cathedral, that was when my graduation ceremony um, happened. And uh, on that day, I was the only PhD student graduated. So it was huge, wow. you know, like so, so beautiful and uh, such a beautiful memory. You know, I, 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 I still have the seat, you know, uh, DVD with me. So yeah, I, I basically went to Durham uh, School of Education, finished my PhD over there. And after that, I actually stayed in Durham University, worked there and have a couple of jobs focused on, let's say, um, um, researcher development. And I was involved in a couple of European 
um, kind of research projects, you know, working with universities uh, across Europe, um, you know, maybe eight or nine partners in one of the projects. And then, yeah, and then um, I moved to Dublin, you know, uh, because of the job as well. And I actually, uh, I was the postdoctoral researcher in our school of education in UCD, actually. And right. After th- okay. That's right. So this, was- is, this is very research so far, isn't it? This isn't kind of necessarily practical hands on like you're doing now. You were you were more on the academic end of things. Exactly. That's good observation, Joe. So because that's what I always wanted. um, That's what I believed that my career path should be. You know what I mean? So Uh, just follow the, you know, like like standard, you know, uh, academic career letter, you know, okay, PhD, postdoc, keep going, you know. So after postdoc and then there was this post in College of Business. Um, came out because my uh, up to my postdoc, my my research area, you know, has always been in intercultural studies, you know, internationalization of higher, higher education. So I actually worked with a um, fantastic uh, colleague, you know, I was her postdoc, her, uh, she's Marie Clark, she's the um, dean for undergraduate uh, studies in um, UCD, actually. And uh, we actually, uh, I was involved in this kind of national study in Ireland, looking at internationalization of all the Irish in, um, higher education institutions. Okay. So that was really, really nice um, experience. And then this this post, you know, which is um, advertised as intercultural development and support officer, but the role is quite vast, kind of in College of Business, in UCD College of Business, which is to provide intercultural support for all faculty, staff, and students. So for me, it was really exciting because it's like mothership calling, you know what I mean? So it's basically, you know, oh my goodness, this is my research area and involves teaching and research. So I was thinking, oh, this is cool. (laughs) And I don't think, I don't think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody was doing this before you arrived, were they? Or if they were, it was very quiet and under the radar. so oh, you you could yeah. kind of make the job your own in a way, I suppose. The post was was kind of a greenfield site almost, and you could yeah. Joe, you are absolutely right. So I feel that I'm the entrepreneur, kind of in the higher education context, mm. because like everything, you know, um, everything is evolving and changing, and because of globalization, higher education is globalized. You know, it's internationalizing. Whether you want to use the word globalization or internationalization, mm. they are very very similar. So you know, higher, higher education has been changing and it needs to change to actually provide, you know, really the best possible education for our students, you know? So then I think jobs like this with focus on intercultural element, let's say intercultural support, whether it's teaching, you know, um, helping with um, intercultural development for students, staff and faculty is badly needed. It is really, really needed. And in fact, it's one of the key findings from our research <laughs> that I did with Marie Clark, with the right. professor Marie Clark, you know. Um, so what did, what, I mean, just go back to that research a minute, because that seems to kind of situate where you've come from doesn't it yeah. i mean so tell me what 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 does internationalization mean in terms of you know educational institutions and things is it just bringing in students from china or, oh, or is there more to it than that kind of <laughs> oh, it's such a good question oh my goodness i mean um obviously you know like like i can write a paper about it but yeah. I think and you probably will now yeah <laughs> If you ask me to answer it in a couple of sentences, it's a real challenge. Um, so, yeah, so in a nutshell, I think internationalization of higher education is basically, like what you said, is, is a really good question that you ask. It's not 
about, let's say, the representation, you know, the representation of students' um, cohort, student community, and also representation. What I mean by representation is whether our student community, faculty community, staff community, whether it's diversified enough or not. It's not just about gender. It's about, let's say, countries, cultural representations, all of that. Okay. So that is one thing. That is on the surface level. Okay, that's a statistics. So yeah. from a statistical point of view, okay, these are how many nationalities. In UCD, we have more than 143 nationalities represented in a student's population, right? Yeah. So that's one thing. But on the other hand, there is a much more in-depth, you know, uh, um, in terms of the internationalization of higher education. It's basically, what about the content what you're teaching? Is your curriculum internationalized in a sense that is your curriculum, let's say, culturally inclusive? Is your curriculum just dominant, uh, you know, like dominated by one, let's say, one thought, one school of thought, you know, uh, is it European uh, uh, culturally focused or is it kind of diversified, it has a global perspective in it, right? Okay. So that is a cu curriculum. And then that is the content. And the other hand is the pedagogy, meaning it's teaching and learning. Do you, are you able to, let's say, for our, all the faculty and staff who have teaching responsibilities, are you able to actually manage and teach effectively to diverse cohort of students? So these are the big areas over here. And a third element would be, you know, the hidden curriculum, right? So you have formal curriculum and then you have hidden curriculum mm. or the informal curriculum, which is extracurricular activities. Are yes. they tailored for the diverse students cohort as well? Because if you think about it, this comes down to the fundamental question of what education is, you know, I mean, I mean what is the purpose of the, uh, of the education? Yes. Obviously, you know, we want students to really achieve what they can, you know, to utilize their strength and to improve the areas they find challenging or still need to be improved and provide the opportunities for that. Basically, it's, it's to tailor education for the diverse student cohort. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that sounds lovely. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being provocative here, okay? Um, a long way to go to achieve that. <laughs> that. That sounds lovely, but, you know, if, if you've got a teacher with 50 or 100 students in the class, mm. and they're already busy, and they're preparing lesson plans, and they're grading, and, and, and all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. You know, is it reasonable to 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 expect them to 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 tailor material and delivery to you know Indian students or Chinese students or Vietnamese students or Australian students or wherever mm. they come from? Mm. I mean, is that is that even possible for one teacher to do? Because you know, you've only got your own set of experiences and. So, so th there must be somewhere in the middle that we meet, must yeah. there, um, on on that kind of question. Oh, absolutely, Joe. That's such a good question. I think for any teacher, you know, if you ask any teacher, including myself, it's really overwhelming. You know what I mean? Because yeah. The more you look into this, the more it becomes kind of like, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so much here. I know. When you know. look at diversity, when you look at accessibility, and we'll come on to those later on as well. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's terrifying, isn't it, when you first dip your toe into this. So I think that, you know, uh, it's a good question. I think, I think you know, um, I feel that whether you like it or not, whether you want to do or not, you have to do it. If you want to make sure that you're teaching the education that we provide for the, our diverse student cohort is really the top quality as we, you know, tell the students, right? So we need to do this. This is what's needed, you know. However, here down, comes down to the question is that whether we have the knowledge skills to do that. Most fundamentally is the attitudes. I mean, do you see, do we see, you know, diverse classroom as a good or as a burden? You know, I think, I think mm. that's, a, that's a very, very good, uh, good question to start with. And also, I think it's unrealistic to expect 
you know, the faculty and the staff members, let's say, because we are, let's say, you know, like everyone, you know, uh, uh, is expert in their own, let's say, academic discipline. Okay, so for example, you are teaching Joe <clears throat> project management, right? And then we have, let's say, faculty members teach finance, all of that. So all of you guys are trained to be an expert in your own discipline. Yes. However, teaching is a different discipline, isn't you know? it? <laughs> exactly, yes. exactly. So obviously, in UCD, we have teaching and learning. You know, the the UCD teacher learning who has been doing a fantastic job. You know, which is why you know, like, there should be a sufficient support. This. A support for faculty and staff development because I believe that learning never ends. I mean, you know, you really need to improve yourself, keep learning, so that you can really kind of keep refining your teaching to keep up with the changes and also the needs that students have, right? So, which is why I think the faculty and staff development is a very important piece. Which, luckily, I think that, you know, um, like. In terms of the structure-wise, in UCD we have good structure. We have teaching and learning. You know, uh, in UCD we have a, a, a teaching and learning committee. And also, Joe, you and I we work on the College of Business uh, Intercultural Forum, haven't we? Oh, well, we're coming on to that later on, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So yes, there yes. are structural supports in place now. Mm -hmm. They didn't used to be as mm. much. I mean, they've they've developed hugely in the last five years or so. Haven't they? I mean, I remember when I came into Smurfit back in 2005 and I got my MBA and, and then I got to teach a module or a couple of modules and, and I was mentored in by, by Ken Meats back in, in the day and, and, you know, eventually took over the program and co-wrote the program with Ken and, and created the new, new program and stuff. Mm. But having a master's degree was, was the door opener. Mm. And and the assumption was, if you've got a master's and, and you've got your experience, you can teach. It mm -hmm. And I, I look at kind of friends of mine that are primary school teachers and secondary school teachers, and some of those, you know, may be listening. And they have to go off and they have to do, you know, an H dip or whatever in mm -hmm. learning about teaching. That's right. But it wasn't for 10 years before I suddenly thought to myself, I should actually go and learn how to teach. And I put myself on the, the, the postgrad diploma in teaching and learning with, with TNL. Mm -hmm. um, and it was an eye opener. Yeah. It was an absolute eye opener. Now, fortunately, I found that most of what I was doing was about right. <laughs> but, but, you know, there were, there were definite areas of improvement. And, and the more I look into this whole teaching and learning space, and that's why I'm doing the podcast and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, putting the book together is because I think there's so much going on and there's so many possibilities for us as educators mm -hmm. that kind of sensit just sensitizing yourself to what's out there and available as to develop your educational delivery, presentation, approach, inclusivity, diversity, all this okay. stuff. And that this is really where you've, you've come and you've just lit a fire, haven't you? <laughs> You, uh, and you really have. So, so I mean, that's that's why I wanted you to come and talk to us today because it's just such a it's such a a vast area, and I, d I think a lot of people are probably a bit scared of it. Hmm. Well, you know, it's always scary to face the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> to face the unknown. Yeah. I think. I think. I think. I think it is overwhelming to be honest. I think for because this is uh, uh I've been, you know this is my research area. That is why let's take just uh, CBIF as an example, the College of Business Intercultural Forum, right? So the purpose of that really is to really have this kind of collegiate uh, community of practice. You know, like learning from 
um, you know, the existing knowledge and practice that uh, really good practice within our community. Like what you said, Joe, teaching, you know, teaching practice is not a myth, you know, a lot of it is common sense Mm. because all of us have been learners. You know, but the thing is that this is the un- unconscious bias. We teach based on how we learn, how we were taught. Yes. Yeah, that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. So the key thing is that the key thing is that, you know, like to see, okay, what are other approaches out there and what else I can do to actually improve my teaching, mm. you know? So I think that, you know, for, um, and for adult learner, for adult learner, obviously there is a formal structured learning. We can go on, you know, training workshops on, on all of that. And there's another side, which is equally important. Some, uh, sometimes it's more important, which is informal learning, because we learn a lot really well from our colleagues. It's like mm. you and me, Joe. I mean, we yeah. haven't met yet, but... We haven't physically met still. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I know. But we've been learning so much from each other, you see, mm. right? So you have your strength, which is really, really, really impressive. You know, you're, you're a very creative and a very inno- innovative educator. And I, I, I keep being impressed by you, you know what I mean? But then I have this expertise in the, you know, like in the diversity, how to deliver culturally inclusive teaching oh, yeah. and everything. This is how the community of learning works. That is why we actually, you know, uh, organize all of this uh, really kind of very popular, actually, you know, bite-sized uh, webinar, you know, our um, brilliant, uh, our colleague, Kathy O'Reilly, you know, she's been the host of the <laughs> webinar. I yes. acknowledge her here <laughs> because she's earned it. <laughs> The audience of this podcast, I mean, it's aimed at educators to give them ideas and inspiration to up their game, Mm -hmm. up their teaching game. So if there's somebody out there feeling challenged about this whole idea of intercultural diversity and and how do I tailor my teaching to better serve a, a, a diverse set of cultural, you know, background students and stuff, what what can they do? What, oh. give us give me two or three things that they can do and maybe they're not at smurfit mm. yeah you know maybe they haven't got access to you <laughs> so you know what 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 other stuff is out there perhaps that they could look at or do for example i think that uh, if you want to make your teaching inclusive you need to have a framework right so recently right. you know i actually follow your footstep joe i i finished the udl universal design for teaching and learning right yes so that is really I personally found it, I mean, even though this is my expertise, let's say, right? But I, I personally found that UDL approach is very useful. Mm. For example, for me, it gives me a good framework, okay, to put all my theories, all my understanding, I can put them, kind of categorize them in this framework, which right. is u- really useful. But I think for someone, let's say, who is a new teacher, who is very new in this area, yes, very new in this area, and then I think that I suggest, you know, kind of actually to complete or buy a book or something. There are so many books about UDL, you know, mm. understand what it is, because, you know, there are three elements in there, isn't it? And we that can will... go back to episode one. Jen Lynch was talking about UDL in the first episode as well. So we've got we've got a, a, a few strands of UDL running through the podcast. So that's, exactly. that's great. Yeah. yeah. So then I think that, you know, um, basically, you know, uh, um, UDL will give you a good framework to reflect on your own practice, you know, in terms of, okay, so what am I doing is right. Is there anything that that I need to improve? So I think that there are two elements over here. One is the knowledge. You need to understand how people from, let's say, different cultural backgrounds, you know, if Mm -hmm. you're talking about the cultural differences, how people from uh, different cultural backgrounds learn, right? Um, Especially- And do they learn differently? Because I mean, you know, I'm an English lad and and you're, you're a girl from China. Yeah. Now we've come up in very different, societies 
very different political systems, very different educational systems. Right. Mm. Now, now we're connected and we're learning from each other and working mm. together and, and mm. you know, fast becoming quite good friends, which is wonderful. But <laughs> does does your learning is your learning experience so radically different from mine that if I if I have you or people from China mm -hmm. coming into my class and I just try and teach them as an English person teaches and, and was taught, am I going to reach them effectively? Okay, or, that's a, or, yeah. And how do I find out whether I am reaching them effectively? Because there are cultural differences in communication, aren't there? I mean, I'm being awfully stereotypical now, going back to original Hofstede power distance and stuff. <laughs> but I mean, you know, very often, Chinese students don't tend to be as vocal in class. Mm -hmm. They don't tend to challenge or argue with the teacher yeah. because perhaps there's that power distance thing and, and the, the, you know, the reverence for authority or whatever, whatever you call it. I mean, I, I have one session on the introduction course that I do to project management mm -hmm. where I do an ethics session. Mm. And the ethics session is is primarily grounded in Western philosophy, mm. but I in, I brought in some slides from um, I think it was Sibinus, um gave me the idea. But but I brought in Guangxi, I brought in Lian, um, and 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 a few of the the concepts of reciprocity and you know networking and and trust from. Chinese culture mm -hmm. and I put the ideograms up and 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 stuff and year after year after year I get such a huge positive reaction mm. from the Chinese students that they and they say nobody's ever drawn on Chinese yeah. culture before in yeah. any of my classes and it was lovely to hear you talking about our culture and China and you know that, that we can bring positive things to to business and, and, and all the rest of it, which of course you can. You're, you're you know you're one of the world's major superpowers, but we 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 teach like you said from our background, don't mm -hmm. we? And 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 I very often feel that I'm teaching from a very narrow, you know, viewpoint, and and the, there's, there must be so much more that I could do. You know what, Joe? I think what you're doing is really good example in terms of internationalization of a curriculum. <laughs> Okay. You know, because because what you're doing is your content. Basically, you know, if you think about it, Joe, like, uh, uh, you know, there is the world is so vast. People yeah. are so different. So many cultures. I mean, we will never, you know, uh, grasp all the knowledge, all the cultural traditions. So there is no way of doing no. that. Right. But I think as a teacher here, here is the thing. It's like, do we see ourselves, you know, what role do we see ourselves in it? For example, in our teaching context, we're the facilitators, right? We're the ones who guide students, you know, study and everything. Now, so what you have done was, right, to actually add the diversity into the content of your teaching. For example, it's not just, let's say, um, European focused, you no. know, it's, it's not just like the Western philosophy focused, but then you're bringing the curriculum. But what is very interesting, Joe, is that this is the, this is the beauty bit. This is the beauty of teaching young adult learners because they love sharing, you know, because they have a lot of their own life experience. Mm. So I feel that, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not surprised by the positive feedback from your students because I feel that, first of all, when you include the diverse, let's say, the diverse content in your curriculum, students feel like they can resonate with it. They feel that it's, they're included, you know mm. what I mean? And they have something to contribute. 
you see? So then I think that I believe the discussion must be really rich in your class so that let's say the no, other non-Irish students and including ourselves, we can learn from our students, you know, from their own cultural expertise. So like, like what I always say that in my class, I always say to other students, all of you, each one of you, you are, you are your own cultural expertise. Mm. So I think, I think the key thing is that as, as teachers, how do we bring that out so that students can learn from each other? Does it make sense? It, do, it does. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe that's a good segue then into mm. the program that you have put together over the last couple of years and, mm. and which has just exponentially grown, hasn't it? This Thank intercultural you. program. So, so tell me about that. Tell me about how it started mm. and, and, and what the ideas were that, that kind of got it going and, and okay. describe the journey through from where, where it started to, to where you are now and where you're going with it. Well, first of all, do you have a day? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got we've got half an hour. So <laughs> I'll try to be brief. Um, yeah. So you know what? I mean, um, so basically, as I said, that part of my role is to provide intercultural support um, to you know students, right? So that includes both postgraduate students and undergraduate students. And I can tell you that the intercultural development program, uh, in short, we call it ICD. Yeah. So ICDE completely research-driven in a sense that um, it was developed based on, you know, the research in internationalization of higher education. So as I mentioned early on um, in, in, uh, in this podcast that, uh, you know, like based on research, for example, in the higher education context, it's not just Ireland, you know, everywhere. All the popular study destinations for international students, for example, America, Australia, you know, Ireland, UK, you name it, right? New Zealand, Canada. So... Like when you have international students and domestic students together, diversity doesn't guarantee integration. No. Right? Exactly. So if, you know, um, even if you have diverse students in one class, it doesn't mean that they're going to talk to each other very well. It doesn't mean that they're going to work in groups very smoothly, right? So research shows that especially, you know, uh, there are a lot of problems, issues, which is common, even for adults now, you know, no, it's like people have team, you know, conflicts. This happens all the time. However, Students working in teams, you know, having conflicts in the university, that is slightly different because their group work, many of them are graded, you know, it's, it's connected with their learning. So if you if you look at, you know, UCD strategy, you know, we, uh, we, we talk about, okay, we want to empower a human being, all of that, right? So then the purpose of the ICD really is to really how, what can we do to actually enhance, to help students, to give them the knowledge and skills to be able to work well together and develop and at the same time have this overall development as a person to be an intercultural, let's say, um, person, citizen, however you want to call it. So mm. the purpose, so that is the original idea of the ICD. ICD comes in as an intervention, as a problem-solving um, approach. So the pain, okay? the pain point from a university perspective is mm. diverse sets of students are, are, are not working well all the time in, no. in groups they're not teams at the time are they they're groups um and and how do we how do we ameliorate that or how do we bring them through the the the, the forming storming norming performing kind of yeah. roles um uh, into cohesive teams absolutely all right Absolutely. So what you need, right, overall, the, the, there are a set of skills that you need, but the core is intercultural and global competencies. The reason why I say it's intercultural and global competencies is because 
you know, the concept itself keeps evolving. And, you know, there are different models out there. So people sometimes call it global competency. Some people sometimes call it intercultural competency. But in SmartFit, for the ICD, I use intercultural because... It what, does, what does global competency mean? I mean, does that mean you, you know where things are on a map? Well, um, that, is, that is part of it. <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is such a good question. Um, from my understanding, global competency and intercultural competency, they are the same. They're, they are the same. Okay. But if there's any difference you can tell is, um, so maybe there's one element in terms of global competency is your responsibility as a human being for the planet, you know, the, sustain the sustainability, all of that, that will come in. Yeah. So okay. the intercultural competency really emphasize a lot on people's interaction. For example, you and I, when, when we are interacting, how we, do we communicate? So then going back to why ICD in, in place is to really design systematically to help students have the knowledge and skills for them to be able to work effectively together in a diverse learning context in and outside of the classroom. Because hopefully, you know, by developing these set of competencies, they will be able to, you know, form, uh, you know, intercultural uh, friendships as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose developing skills for communication and teamwork outside of the classroom. I mean, certainly in the Smurfit yeah. environment where a 200 credit module, they may have 24 or 36 hours in class, mm. but then they've got the other 160, 70 hours mm. self-directed learning. So you're you're teaching them how to do that are you you're you're teaching them how to connect better and and interact better outside of the formal i don't call them lectures because i don't do lectures anymore um mm. I, I run sessions now um but uh but yeah mm. Bas uh, basically you know like for the students i think the fundamental um i think the fundamental issue is the whether they see the value of interacting with someone who is different or not different yeah. you know like could be anything gender anything you know mm. because culture is everywhere you know culture is not just about national culture you know uh, there's um it's uh, it's about uh, for example even with within ireland you have cultural differences as well so i think the fundamental thing is the attitude you know so if the student sees this as a value then they will put more effort to it and the icd is helping them first of all with the attitude and then give them the knowledge and skills and competencies to be able to do that um, effectively all yeah. right and you bring, I mean, an energy. <laughs> I mean, you're just a force of nature. I mean, every time oh. I, I interact with you, you know, you're, you're smiling, you're energetic, you're enthusiastic, and you seem to put everything of yourself into this, into oh. what you do. So, I mean, that must be infectious. That must kind of communicate to the students. And, and it does, because I get the feedback from them, you know, and they all oh. come <laughs> raving about Linda's classes and Linda's course and all the rest of it. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. You see, you see, the thing is that this comes down to uh, why, you know, why, why I choose to teach, isn't it? I mean, including yourself, we can choose other professions if they want, uh, yeah. if we want. I think I can, I can be a good marketing person, you know, if you think about it. <laughs> You know, so but the thing is that, you know, um, I feel that this is what students like, like because I do annual um, students experience survey for the ICD program because I want to learn. I want to, you know, keep improving my teaching under the program. So uh, the keywords came out, uh, come up is that uh, students say that uh, I'm very energetic. You know, they they feel that my energy is infectious. I think I think that's the word you use. Did you? Yeah. And then they they enjoy it. So I think that. Um, the key thing is really is because I love what I do. I think I love teaching and I keep on and I get energized from it. And also I love the 
discipline. You know, I I am a true believer of uh, you know intercultural competency. You know, inclusive teaching. Um, you know, and education should be inclusive. You know, all the opportunities should be available to the students, and then it's up to the students um, in terms of how much they can achieve. So maybe you know, and and I I remember at at one point some of my students told me that uh, you know because you're so passionate about it, and yeah. you made me want to learn about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's great! I didn't realize that, but it's such a great feedback from them. You know what I mean? So yeah, so uh, so I think because of the demand, as you mentioned at the beginning, so I'm really excited about the next step for the ICD because uh, this will make Smart Fifth School the first school in Ireland. Um, uh, offering intercultural learning opportunities that is available to all students, uh, all students, kind of postgraduate students. So this is quite exciting stuff. That's amazing. But I mean, that's that's thirteen, fourteen hundred students, I think, based on current numbers, isn't it? I mean, yeah, are, I think, are, they, yeah, are, are they cloning you? Um, <laughs> 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 well, hopefully they're not. I mean, <laughs> well, well, um, well, the thing is that you know, um, like. The thing is that because um, uh, there are two levels of the intercultural uh, of the ICD program, I think I think the um, um, really tailored for students' needs and in 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 order to scale, right? So there is a fundamental level, you know, the the for the fundamentals, and then there's advanced level. So okay. the difference between fundamentals and advanced is basically advanced, right? So you learn from, let's say, action. You know what I mean? So they will come in and do the sessions with me. You know, so there are only limited place for advanced because like what you said, I mean, there's only one me, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, not all the students, uh, not uh, not all the students actually have the time, let's say, mm. time to actually devote it into the advanced level, which is which is makes sense. I mean, because all the students have their own priorities. Right. So which is why there's fundamental level uh, It's completely online self-study, but but it's kind of interactive online. You know, they, ah, they, so they you've recorded it. you've recorded sessions and and done quizzes so this that's is like right. a, a Coursera course or a think right. course or whatever is this okay. that's right yeah. and then the, the in-person one is what a hundred people or so I think is it or um, it's probably more now but uh, yeah 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 so so basically you know for example for the fundamentals right um like students um I think it's it suits some of the students especially if they prefer to study on their own you know what I mean yes. Um, and also, you know, fits their uh, um, study schedule, for example, if they're very busy and then, hey, hey, now I have 30 minutes, so I'm going to do ICD. You know what I mean? So this is really based on my experience in the past three years. So there are a small group of students who are so committed, um, you know, who are able to commit fully to the program and they will be the ones who get advanced. Right. right. But the fundamentals. The difference is that, you know, they didn't have the kind of face-to-face -face interaction experience, mm. but all the theories, all other stuff is the same. Okay. Yeah. I, w I want to do this fundamentals course. Is it available to staff as well? Because if it's well, online, it should be. <laughs> oh, it's such a good question, Joe. And um, thank you for adding more things into you know, <laughs> my, my to-do list. I think... <laughs> I think I think I think you know uh, that's a that's a good question you know that's a that's a good question because that is that is one of the things that I I plan to do uh, but I think I need to tailor it for the faculty and staff because in terms of the faculty and staff your role is more like teaching you know how do you handle the diverse classroom I think support around air, that area how to achieve let's say culturally inclusive teaching that's yeah. my next thing to do absolutely right. yeah. because I yeah. mean that that's so needed and I mean that that talks to you know why we're here doesn't it. You know, so I mean, how do I improve my classroom for That's my right. students? Yeah. How do I, how do I, I mean, again, broad brush stereotype here. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Horrible. But in general, 
perhaps in the mm -hmm. classroom, Chinese students tend to be quieter and less kind of, they don't contribute as much verbally. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that's because they're shy or whether that's because of the cultural conditioning of not speaking up in class or challenging or having, you know, a bit, but yet, you know, they're as bright, if not brighter than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, how do I bring them out? How do I involve the Chinese and the other students who are more reticent to come mm. forward? Mm. They have the knowledge, they have this amazing experience, otherwise they wouldn't be sitting in the class there. But how do I bring them in to the discussion? Because mm. we, we, we kind of almost predicate our teaching, I think, on, on discussion, don't we? On, on involvement, mm. on engagement mm. and, and, you know, argument and stuff like that. Is that, a, is that an assumption that we should make as educators? Should we ground our teaching in the expectation that people are going to discuss and going to have an opinion and going to mm. argue? Or is that... Is that a cultural assumption that I'm making that I shouldn't be making? You see, Joe, I mean, you ask, you, you ask such a good question and it's a very big question. You know what I mean? And it, um, it's, it's, it's debatable. But if you ask me my own personal opinion, is that I feel that because we have this diverse classroom and yeah. <clears throat> first of all, let's talk about stereotype. I think yeah. stereotype is helpful. Okay. So, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So it's not a dirty word then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, you know, stereotype is helpful because it, it gives you a general direction in yeah. terms of it, it helps you to have an expectation. You know what I mean? But as long as you don't think stereotype is absolutely a universal truth, it's never going to change, then that's not good. You know what I mean? So if you don't fix onto, your st uh, uh, onto the stereotype and keep an open mind, Mm. then that's fine, you see? So yes, I mean, research do shows that students, let's say, from East Asian cultural background, including yeah. Chinese, you know, like uh, Koreans, Japan, Japanese, you know. Yeah. So in the class, depends on who you compare to. If you compare to Americans mm. who are, have no problem to speak up, here we're talking about stereotypes, okay? Yes, very <laughs> we're much. About very stereotypes. Much. Yeah, yeah, the, the other like, end of the spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we, um, in, in, in practice, you know, we have a stereotypes, but we treat each student as individuals because they are all different, yeah? Now, so there are cultural differences in terms of classroom behaviors on the surface level. How do they behave in the class? And mm -hmm. you mentioned about the Hofstede cultural dimension and the most relevant one obviously is power distance. Mm -hmm. For example, China, India, you know, um, all the Asian countries, most of the Asian countries are high power distance. Yes. And the low power distance would be, you know, uh, the lowest power distance would be America, you know, um, and then Ireland is very similar to UK, probably slightly higher than the UK. You know, all of that. So then, which I, I felt that is good piece of research. I, I think the Hofstede dimension actually is pretty accurate in terms of looking at a national trend, right? And I know it's quite old now, but it's been updated, hasn't it? And, you you know, even mm -hmm. when you look at the current kind yeah. of scales for, for this, there, there is still a difference. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think that the general trend is still the same, yes. you know? So then... um. Looking at the classroom behavior, I think you, are, uh, you have a really good observation, right? So the Chinese students, if you compare Chinese with the Irish and Americans, mm. so the uh, Americans are very talkative and the Irish less, you know, but there are still students who are willing to speak up. But the Chinese students would be quiet. Yes. Now, so as a teacher, it depends on what you're teaching, what do you believe uh, effective learning and teaching should be. For example, in the Western context, um, you know, we need to talk talk, speak, debate. Oh, yes, yes, that is, you know, active participation. You are great. <laughs> you know, you're, you must be a great learner. Mm. But that is according to your 
specific culturally believed exactly. in terms yeah. of what is a good learning, right? Yeah. But that is a low power distance. Low power distance meaning that, you know, like, okay, everybody is equal. You can challenge your teacher. But this is such a difficult concept for the, let's say, students, you know, from the higher high power distance society yes. to adjust to. It's not that they don't want to. Because if you look at the research, all the international students, okay, who, who decided to study abroad, they already mentally prepared. You know what? I'm going to study abroad. I'm going to learn. You know, that's what I'm paid for. They want to learn. However, if you think about it, they've been practicing this for over 20 years and you expect them to immediately change this within the first Wait. week. Yes. Of arriving in the UCD, there's yeah. no way they can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So obviously, even if they want to, mm. then it kind of takes time for them. So which means that we should give them the support, which is why the ICD is there. You know, as uh, ICD is for everyone, you know. So that, for example, for the Irish students and American students, understand why some students don't speak. It's, it's not because they're free, free, freeloaders. It's not because, you know, they are free writers. It's because there's a cultural difference. For example, the Chinese students, let, let, let's just take Chinese students as mm. an example. When they're not speaking, it's not that they are, they're passive. You know, in the literature, there's a word talking about, you know, like, okay, uh, uh, Asian students can be passive, you know, yes. passive. But the thing is that that is according to your own cultural lens. Okay? And that's just a perception, isn't it? You know, they're, not, exactly. they're sitting in the class, but they're not saying anything. They're not interacting. Therefore, exactly. they're passive. Exactly. So yeah. you need to look at, you know, what is deep down. Deep down is that they are active listeners. They're active. They keep reflecting on it. So if you if you ask me, okay, Linda, just you use one sentence, summarize the key difference between, let's say, high power distance and low power distance societies in terms of teaching and learning is whether it's teacher-centered or student-centered, right? So in a teacher-centered, which means that, Joe, let's say I'm Chinese and, uh, and uh, I come to your class. And what I expect is I want to learn from you. You know what I mean? Because you are the teacher. You are the guru. You are the master of the, the stage discipline. on stage model. Yeah. Exactly. But, but, but that's a model I'm trying to get away from now. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think I think when I started teaching, that's where it was. You know, and I, I, I was sage on stage and I was handing down the the, mm. the, the the knowledge, if you like. But the more I get into teaching and learning and learning, you know, about current trends, certainly in teaching and learning, the more this sage on stage thing seems to be like, throw that away, bring the class in, make it inclusive, make it, make it discussive and all the rest of it. But mm. I recognise that that's difficult for some of my students and I don't know how to bridge that gap at the moment. You know mm. what I mean? You see, the thing is that I think I think um, uh, which is this is one of the purposes actually the ICD is 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 trying to achieve. You know what I mean? So which is why I mean I mean as a um, you know um, as a as a member in kind of in the um, Smurfy School, I think I think you probably observe that there's ICD has keep changing. Yes, right? it's just evolving. Always... It's 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 different every time I look at it, and, and right? it's amazing. Yeah, I know. So I always think about you know kind of what can ICD to uh, do to actually sort of because like like what you mentioned, faculties. You know, I mean, you guys basically, you know, like first of all, not everyone has the expertise to deal with that. No, but at the same time, I think people should improve uh, improve themselves, learn anyway, right? And then at the same time, actually, you might you you probably don't have the time to deal with that, for example. What I mean is that, you know, can you really solve all the group problems, you know, all of that. But mm -hmm. I think that this works two ways. So, you know, faculties make, uh, uh, make an effort, for, for example, whatever you can do to make your teaching as inclusive as possible, you know. So if we look at a UDL, you know, principle is that you need to have uh, well, options for choice. Kind of for different students, isn't it? Yes. Choice, I think choice, that is the key word. And also I think, you know, from the ICD, 
point of view, you know, like uh, uh, in terms of the program, how can the ICD help students to equip their awareness and the, and the skills to be able to actually appreciate the diversity, you know, do not judge other students. Okay, your language is not good. You must be a bad learner. So language competency is not equivalent to academic achievement. No, but it's a blocker if there's an immediate perception that this person can't speak English very well or can't communicate with us Mm. very well, you know, in in business English or whatever. Therefore, they must be, you know, they're not as good as us. They're not. So the question... Joe, the question I have towards you as a teacher, right? I mean, you are an an, an amazing teacher. I've heard super feedback, you know, from my ICD students, which are from your class as well. You know what I mean? So I have a student from across 22 programs. (laughs) I have all the gossips of different faculties. (laughs) It's only a joke. So, So my question to you, Joe, right, is that is discussion really that essential? I mean, what I mean is that, you know, kind of in terms of the, let's say, use a stereotype, right? the Western concept of teaching, okay, mm-hmm. is that, like, how much time do you actually, you know, how, how much emphasis, how much do you emphasize on the value of discussion and how that discussion takes place? Does it have to be verbal? Ooh. Right? I, think, I, think, I think that's a, you know. A cracking question. Mm. I, I think if, if I went back two or three years, mm. I would say relatively little. Mm discussion in class yeah mostly me with my powerpoint deck droning on pushing information at them expecting them to soak it up and whatever but interspersed with practical and experiential application of you know right i've talked about the theory for an hour now go and do this exercise and and put the theory into some kind of a practice Mm -hmm. whether that's on an in-class exercise or whether that's on a wider assignment you know going and working with a charity or writing a business plan for a real company or whatever Mm -hmm. it is so there's all that built in now since covid and since I had a, an actual a seminal um, yeah. interaction with one of our colleagues, Alessio, yeah, and, and, and Alessio, oh. Alessio asked whether he could come and audit one of my online classes because mm-hmm. he was about to teach an online class and he was still getting, you know, getting situated with the online stuff. Mm. And and so I I, I'm, I love people coming and auditing my classes because I get another educator's view on what I'm doing. And he made a comment and he, and he said, he said, you know, mm. the class was fine and all the rest of it, but you spend too much time expounding a point. They got it in the first minute. <laughs> you don't need to spend 10 minutes on it. Yeah. Maybe give them some time then to talk about the point. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, it was a light bulb going on in my head when he, when he'd said that it was i never will i'll never forget it it was such a really good inspiring insight so what i'm trying to do now and it's Mm. difficult it's difficult because i think a lot of us as educators like talking and to actually build in stops where i stop talking and i let them talk now and i you throw them into break and this is where zoom has actually been really really useful because the breakout rooms function is fantastic. You know, you can just mix and match them randomly. I mean, if they're in a classroom, you've got them sitting at a table and the four of them sitting at the table. And if you, unless you actually say, right, everybody move to a different table now and, and that takes five, 10 minutes to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so Zoom has facilitated this, but, but I think building in conversation time and discussion time and then 
having time after the conversation where you come back into forum, share some of the insights from each each group, and mm -hmm. then riff that into the next discussion or whatever. I mean, that that's quite a powerful model that I'm now increasingly using. There, there was also a, a post by um, a teacher, a high school teacher in the state, mm. Rob McIntarfer. I'll put the link uh, in the mm. show notes. Um, six, nine months ago. And, and he said when he went online, how he got over this problem of talking too long. Yeah, <laughs> was every every third slide in in, yeah. in all all his PowerPoint slide decks, he just inserted a blank slide. Oh, that's really clever. And it was just when you get to the blank slide, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that was such a simple but easy intervention. Oh, that's really clever, isn't it? Isn't it? Remind us, hey, time to take a break, you know. Just blank slide. Yeah, yeah. Talk time. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that, actually. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether discussion as mm. a study tool, I, th I mean, so much of the teaching and learning work that's going on at the moment and the conferences mm. I'm going to and the Innovation Academy and all the rest of it, mm. they say, this is, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. Have your students talk. Co-created learning, that's a big thing at the moment, isn't it? And all the rest of it. Mm. Is it, is it right? Is it not right? I, I, I don't know. Well, it, it certainly adds some value, but does it add value to the diverse students who perhaps are not as comfortable talking? Well, I, if I you ask me, well, if you ask me, you know, uh, I always wear the inclusive teaching, culturally, yeah. uh, culturally inclusive teaching hat. And I'm always careful not to go extreme, you know, with any method. Yes. Because, you know, I know it's very popular. People talk about, you know, co-curriculum and everything. So maybe that's the area we need to look, uh, uh, we need to work on, we need to mm -hmm. look into. But of, uh, I think every one of us, we need to make a conscious decision in terms of based on our own student cohort. You know, what, uh, what would be a good mix, uh, for example, in terms of teaching techniques, teaching activities for my students? Does it make sense? Mm. Mm. I, I, well, I don't know whether we've got time to do it today because we're, yeah. we're almost on one o'clock now. I mean, maybe we'll have another session. Mm. But, but I think one thing that might be really interesting that you mm. could bring from your background to yeah. that discussion would be some ways to inform teachers and, you know, professors and whatever on, well, how do I measure this? How do I turn my teaching into research and and what questions do I ask my cohorts each year to elicit, if you like, mm. the right changes? Because you've done that, obviously, for years and years and years, but <laughs> I've not. <laughs> and I, sh I probably should be doing, but mm. I, I, I don't know how to. Mm. I think, yeah. I think, well, first of all, right. So um, this is a, this is a big question, Joe. Okay. I know, oh, I know, and I know we've only got three minutes left, so I know it's the wrong time to have asked it. But <laughs> you see, the thing is that um, I don't. Uh, um, what I do, right, is that at the end of my teaching, I mean, every class, I actually ask the students to give me evaluation, simply because, um, like what I said, because I love teaching, I want to improve my teaching all the time, yeah. and that is a primary reason why I ask them to do that. But then, for example, how I improve the program. For example, you know, um, I would ask them to fill in the end of the year survey, you know, thing, yeah. uh, things like that. Key questions, you know, key questions is really sort of, I would want to reflect based on self is what worked, you know, what yes. worked for you, right? And what didn't work? Is there yeah. any room for improvement and so, why? Yeah. And I think, I think that's, and what hasn't been covered, for example. Right. In your case, in your case, for example, if you want to improve, if you want to develop the content 
of your teaching because you included actually the Chinese students' case, you know. So what else needs to be included? I think mm. I think that would be a, a good angle to look at it if you want to do a piece of research because you need to be very focused. Do you want to research on your curriculum? You know, do you want to research on your syllabus? You know, or do you want to look at your teaching method? You know what I mean? Yes. Whether any method is effective or not. So I, I think can, as a yeah, I can as a, I can feel a collaborative paper coming on, Linda. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> we should always collaborate. We already collaborated on a paper, haven't we? We've already done one. Yeah. 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 And again, I'll I'll put a link in, in the show notes on that. Um yeah, how we communicate how we set up kind of the CBIF community of practice and how well that worked. Exactly. Listen, I, I, I promised we wouldn't go too much over time, so I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap up this talk, but I think we're going to have another one at mm. some point. But just a couple of couple of final kind of points to, to, to talk about. I noticed in your survey before the podcast, you mentioned Temple Grandin. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about Temple Grandin because I hadn't come across Temple Grandin, but oh my goodness, she, she I mean, inspires you. So, so who is yeah. Temple Grandin, and why should we know about it? By the way, probably you can do another session with Jacob as well because Jacob met her in person. Oh um, right. wow, <laughs> fantastic! So basically, <clears throat> Temple, right? I mean, she was diagnosed as autistic when she was little. I I I didn't know her um, until I listened to her uh, TED talk. You know what I mean? I was so inspired. I actually listened, uh, listened to it again, 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 because she spoke so fast, so well. Yeah. And then she was uh, uh, kind of diagnosed as uh, autistic when, uh, when she was a child. And basically most of her teachers, okay, in a nutshell, and now she's a really famous, you know, like, like, like she's really, um, uh, she's an expert in horse development or something. So okay. anyway, so yeah, she's been invited to give talks and everything. So what inspired me was that, um, you know, um, like most of her teachers didn't know what to do with her because mm -hmm. she's, you know, autistic, you know, so most of the teachers don't know how to do it. But then she, uh, one of her teachers who actually managed to disc discover the way to help her, to help her discover herself, how to learn, how to pursue, what's your strength, how to pursue it and everything. And that's how she became rich where, where she is now. So I find that that is so inspiring. In fact, I actually share that post on my LinkedIn because, I mean, for me, because I'm so inspired by that, because I was so impressed by that teacher because yes. uh, didn't give, gave us her, you know, the, the, the teacher name, the teacher who was able to actually personalize the learning journey for this child. Yes. which which is what we should do for every learner you know i was like oh my goodness that's so impressive so i remember when i was uh, when i when i was listening to that tech talk it was late in the afternoon i was like oh such a good day to you know such a good way to actually to end the day you know what i mean mm -hmm. so it's really really inspiring so i feel that for an educator you know i call uh, i i call myself educator um i think that's really inspiring uh because that's what i believe you know how can we help every of ours not the majority not a standard student every student to achieve their potential it's a lot of work from for us but i think that um, is is a uh, is a is 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 a it's very important goal for us to um for me at least for me to pursue and i mean that that riffs us beautifully into my last kind of question for you <laughs> which is your plus one yeah and your plus one was to have empathy towards your students and i mean that's really yeah. what you're talking about i guess yeah. but i mean what do you mean by empathy and how does how do we as educators empathize because mm. i mean that's a term that you know it could be a woolly yeah. term it could so what can we do to empathize with our students don't judge them basically you know postpone your judgment because i think that 
you know, we always have our un unconscious bias, bias against everything, you know, but then I think it's that we have unconscious bias towards our students as well. This is, this is, you know, directly relevant to stereotype. When you see a student, your brain will immediately make some judgment. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That is normal, you know, but then postpone your judgment and really observe that student, see how he or she learns and what can you do to help her, him learn better. You know, that is what I mean by empathy. Rather than judging the students, you know, see them yeah. as a problem or see them as why, you know what I mean? So always postpone judgment. Okay, is there anything, you know, I can do to help that student in any way to learn better? So that's what I meant by empathy. I think I think postpone judgment is just so important. So that, That's a lovely point. And I'd never really conceptualized that in such mm -hmm. a cogent way that's that's a wonderful way of summarizing summarizing it linda i'm i'm so glad you came on <laughs> we, are, <laughs> we are we are we 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 i think over the hour now so we'll 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 draw a close here but yeah. but i mean what a super discussion you know yeah. thanks for, for for sharing your your passion and i mean you know that that's what comes over with you linda as a, as an oh. educator and as a person you're just so passionate and and it it is infectious um and it it clearly resonates with all the students and the faculty that i i hear hear about what you've been doing and see what you've been doing and i'm i'm constantly inspired so oh. so it's been a, it's been great to have you on on the show today and uh, and thank you so much for coming Thank you so much for inviting me, Joe. It's been a fantastic talk and you keep inspiring me as well, you know, so really thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Fantastic. Okay. Mm -hmm.